Well, first of all, Merry Christmas to everybody. Glad that you're here. I think the sun's going to finally come out today, which is good. I want to say a good morning to those who are watching us online, those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus, and those who are watching by TV. We're thrilled that you are joining us today. Uh, how many of you have ventured out to a mall on the weekend? Just let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you are too smart to do that? Hold your hands up. Uh, my grandson had a ball game yesterday over in Buford, and so my wife, Teresa, had this brilliant idea that we ought to just drop by the Mall of Georgia and do a little shopping yesterday about 2 o'clock. And um, so a guy called me while we were over there uh, looking. We finally did find a place to park in Gainesville. But um, a guy called me, and he said, hey, he said, uh, where are you, what are you doing? In fact, he's in Jacksonville. And I said, well, I'm trying to find a place to park here at the mall. And he said, you mean you're at the Mall of Georgia? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, have you found a place to park? I said, well, no. But I said, I am going to do what uh, I heard Adrian Rogers say one time. Uh, he was talking to his people, and he said, you know, he said, how many of you can't find a place to park at the mall? Hands went up. He said, I have solved my problem. Last year, I bought a parked car. So I think that's what I'm going to do next year. I'm going to buy a parked car, and then I don't have that problem anymore. You know, some facts are hard to believe. And for example... Did you know that pure honey does not spoil? I, I didn't know that. You can eat honey. I'm not making this up. That's 10,000 years old. I'm not truly. I didn't know it, but you can. It never, ever spoils. Did you know that a full head of human hair is strong enough to support 12 tons? I'm down to about a half a ton, but it, it's amazing. And, and listen, what about this? Dead people can get goosebumps. I, I'm just fact. I, in fact, reason why I know that's true, I've seen that happen a lot of times when I'm preaching. So I know that that happens to be an absolute true thing. Uh, if you've seen the movie First Man, it just came out. I learned this. Now, this is ridiculous. Neil Armstrong had to go through U.S. Customs in Hawaii on his way back from the moon. Couldn't get back to the country. Been to the moon for his for serving his country, could not get back into his country until he went through customs. There are just some things, they're just hard to believe even though they're true. And that's why it may not surprise us that thoughtful people, and I mean really honest, thoughtful people, find so many things so hard to believe that are true about Jesus. Take the cross. There are people that just, they just find it hard to believe that one man dying on a piece of wood can atone for the sins of the entire world. They just find that hard to believe. Take the empty tomb. The, the resurrection's a stumbling block too high for a lot of people to get over because we know one thing is true. Nobody comes back from the dead. You've never known anybody to. I've never known anybody to. Or take, for example, the virgin birth. We talked about it last week. There's this, you know, nobody has the difficulty with the fact that Jesus was born. Nobody gets bent out of shape that Jesus lived, but born of a virgin. And for a lot of people, that's just a bridge too far. They just, you know, I just can't get there. You mean he didn't have a father? It wasn't in vitro fertilization. It wasn't anything like that. Just find it hard to believe. However, the hardest thing to believe with Jesus is not how he got here or what he did. The real difficulty people have, if you want to be very honest about it, the real difficulty people have is who he was. 
Because the real hard message for a lot of people to swallow is not Good Friday's crucifixion. It was not Easter Sunday's resurrection. It was Christmas's incarnation. What we mean by that is that God became fully human. That is a stumbling block for a lot of people. When you just say these words, God became man, the Muslim says, that's where you gotta leave me. The Jew says, nope, only one God. The Unitarians, the Jehovah's Witness, a lot of others say, that's just a line I can't cross. I can buy a lot of things about Jesus, but when you tell me that Jesus as a man was God, just can't get there. We're in a series that we're calling Christmas Unwrapped because it's one thing to unwrap Christmas gifts. It's another thing to unwrap the gift of Christmas. And so what I thought would be neat was, why don't we just really unwrap Christmas itself? Because the first Christmas gift that was ever given was given by God himself. And what makes it the greatest Christmas gift of all is that it was God himself. God gave the greatest Christmas gift ever given, and it was God himself. Because, you know, last week we thought about Christmas biology. That is, before the birth of Jesus, there was the conception of Jesus, and we're taught in Scripture he was conceived in the womb of a virgin named Mary by none other than the Holy Spirit who is God. However, what you're going to see today is this. Christmas biology has to lead to Christmas theology. That is because Christmas doesn't just celebrate how Jesus was conceived, but who Jesus was when Jesus was born. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn today to the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I purposely didn't turn there till just now. I went to Matthew, and now I'm turning to Luke, and now I'm turning to Mark, and then to Luke, and then to John. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. You see... It is the who of Christmas that makes sense of the what and the why of Christmas. Because in this passage we're going to look at today, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, his name was John, he was one of Jesus' three closest friends. Now, Jesus loved all of his disciples, but there were three that were kind of in his inner circle. There was Peter, there was James, and there was John. John was one of those three closest friends. Lived with Jesus three years almost never left his side, 24-7, saw him up close. And he gives us what I call Christmas Theology 101. And here's what John's going to tell us. There's some things you need to know, and there's some things you need to understand about who Jesus was if you're going to truly celebrate Christmas the way Christmas ought to be celebrated. So let's go back 2,000 years. Mary has the baby. The baby is laid in a manger, swaddling cloths. We know the whole story. But what really happened the second Jesus came in to this planet? First of all, Jesus entered into life with us. He entered into life with us. In just 10 words, we're in John 1. In just 10 words in one sentence, John makes this earth-shattering declaration. He said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, the reason why he's calling Jesus the word, that's, he, that's who he's talking about here. Words are used to communicate. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm using words to talk to you. And Jesus uses this term word to describe Jesus as coming literally to speak God 
to us. Now, John is being physiologically precise as he can be. He says, look, Jesus was God who became a human being. That's what the word incarnation means. It literally comes from a Latin phrase that means in fleshing. So in other words, here's what happened. The moment that Jesus came out of Mary's womb, the moment he took his first breath, here's exactly what happened. He became something that he was never before. God became something that for all eternity he had never been until that moment he became a human being. Now here's what people have a hard time believing. God, without ceasing to be God, became a human being. There are people who say, okay, I can understand if God said, now I'm no longer going to be God, I'm just going to be a human being. That is not what happened. Without ceasing to be God, he became a human being. God became a man, the God-man. Now, on the one hand, he became a fetus, developed nine months, born as a baby, could not feed himself, care for himself, needed to be changed, needed to be taken care of like any other baby. Then he became a child. Then he became a teenager. Then he became a man. And he had skin and bones and veins and corpuscles and eyes and ears just like you and just like me and just like us. He got tired. He needed to rest. He needed to sleep. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He even got angry. He laughed. He wept. He bled. He died. He wasn't like Superman who, you know, put on a pair of glasses and pretended to be like one of us. You know, if you've ever, Superman was my hero growing up. In fact, I remember when I was in the first grade, one of the greatest Christmas gifts I ever have gotten in my life to this day, I was in the first grade and my mother got me a full-blown Superman outfit for Christmas. I mean, S, you know, had the cape, had the S. I mean, I wore myself out trying to fly when I put that thing on because Superman was my hero. But deep down, I always knew something. He was Superman. Now, he could put on the glasses and he could put on the suit And he might look like a human being, but Clark Kent was really just Superman. Jesus was not like that. He really was an ordinary human being just like you and just like me. People saw him, they heard him, they touched him, they felt him, they got close to him. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. So when he took on his humanity, he did not lose his divinity. He was 100% God, but he was 100% human. And that's why John added these words, and he made his dwelling among us. Now, there's there's, there's such a beautiful Greek word. The Greek word there that that John uses for that phrase, made his dwelling among, among us, it literally means to tabernacle. It means to pitch a tent. Now, if you'd been a Jew back in that day, you would have said, you gotta be kidding because he knew exactly what Jesus, John was referring to. Because back in the Old Testament, if you go back in the Old Testament, when people wanted to meet with God, they, they had a, what they called a tabernacle. It was a tent. And everywhere they went, they would erect this tent. And if you wanted to meet with God, if you wanted to go into the presence of God, you would go into that tent. Now you couldn't see God face to face. It wasn't flesh to flesh. It wasn't eyeball to eyeball. You couldn't do that. But God existed in what was called the Shekinah 
glory. It was like a big cloud and it kind of hovered over and inside that tabernacle. And that's where you would go to experience the presence of God. And what, what John is saying is that's so amazing is this. When Jesus was born, God literally came and set his tent right in the middle of us. He set his tent and he said, here I am. He pitched his tent with us. And here's what that means. If you had lived 2,000 years ago and you had met Jesus, you were meeting God. If you'd seen Jesus face to face, you were seeing God face to face. If you met Jesus flesh to flesh, you were meeting God flesh to flesh. And I'll tell you why that's so important. One of my favorite places to go in the world, as you know, uh, is Israel. I'm going back, we're going back to Israel next year because so many people want to go. I've been to Israel more times than any other country outside of the United States. United States. Now, if you came up to me after church today and you said, hey, Doc, tell me about Israel. Man, I could tell you about Israel. I, I mean, I, 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 could, I could do everything I can to paint a picture in your mind about Israel. I can tell you how thrilling it is to be on the Sea of Galilee, the same sea that Jesus sailed on and fished in so many times. I can tell you what it's like to get into a boat and to go from, uh, from, from Tiberias to Capernaum. I can tell you what it's like to be on the exact street, the exact cobblestone that Jesus took when he went to the cross. I can take you to the empty tomb where we take the Lord's Supper. I can even tell you how we go to the very same fields where shepherds watch their flocks by night. And I talk about Christmas there every time that we go. And I can show you picture after picture I've taken of every imaginable sight you would ever wanna see. But as anyone will tell you, there's nothing like being there. There's nothing like seeing it for yourself. There's nothing like doing it face to face and flesh to flesh. And that's exactly why God came. He wanted us to see him face to face. He wanted to talk to us eyeball to eyeball. He wanted to be flesh to flesh. And that's why the only way, listen, the only way to meet God personally is through Jesus Christ. Now you can know a lot about God without Jesus. You can hear a lot about God without Jesus. You can think a lot about God without Jesus. You cannot know God personally except through Jesus. See, God has revealed himself in three ways. When people say, you know, why do you believe in God? Well, first of all, he's left his footprints everywhere, but God, God has revealed himself in three ways. In, in creation, God's revealed his power. In scripture, God has revealed his principles. But in Jesus, God has revealed his person. And what is so unique about Christmas is not just that Jesus was God. It's that in Jesus, God has become a human being. So I want you to think about it this way. Think about it this way. It's impossible that man can become God. That can't happen. It's inconceivable that God would become man. It's incredible that Jesus was God, but he became a man. He was God, but he became a man. No other religion in history except Christianity. This is one thing that makes it so different. Go to any other religion and study it. No other religion said, says it is essential that this God become a human being. This God's gotta become like us. 
This God's got to put on flesh and, and bones and he has to have skin and blood and corpuscles. He's got to walk like us and talk like us and feel like us and experience life like us. No other religion in the world except Christianity says that is absolutely essential if you want to confess who God really is. That is a big part of Christmas theology. God entered into life with us. But that leads to a second truth. Jesus existed in eternity before us. He entered into life with us, but he existed in eternity before us. Now, John interrupts his own narrative. He's telling this story about Jesus. John interrupts his own narrative. He wants to quote something that John the Baptist said about him later on in this chapter. Here's what he said. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me. Why? Because he was before me. Now, John actually says these words in verse 30 down in this chapter later on. John is quoting him, but he said it here because he wants to understand, listen, this is big now. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he did not have his beginning in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't have his beginning in Bethlehem. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. You probably know that. But he was born three months earlier than Jesus. His ministry started before Jesus' ministry, and yet John comes along and says, oh, his ministry's not only going to far surpass my ministry, I've got news for you. He was before me. He came before me. As a matter of fact, the phrase that John uses is emphatic. He doesn't say he was before me. He says literally he was first before me. In other words, he said, look, I did not exist until I was born. He's always existed before he was born. Always. Jesus was human. We've already established that. But the next thing you've got to say about Jesus, and the most important thing is, he was without a beginning. He was conceived by God, but he was not created by God. He was the creator God who has always existed. And he said, okay, why, why is that so important? And why does John make a big deal out of this? Here's why. Because the only being before anything or anyone is God. The only being that's ever existed before anything or anyone is God. Creation did not exist before the creator. The creator has always existed before the creation. Here's why that's a big deal. Our birth was our beginning. Our birth was our beginning. His birth was not. He had no beginning. And because he had no beginning, he has no ending. He has always existed from eternity past to eternity present. Jesus is the only baby. Think about this. Jesus is the only baby that was ever born that at the moment he was born, he was older than his mother and as old as his father. Only baby. He was older than his mother and he was as old as his father. That's why if you want to be, really get serious about Christmas, that's why Christmas is really two mysteries in one. So what do you mean? Well, here's one mystery. Jesus is fully God and Jesus 
is fully human. Now, let me just be very honest and transparent. You say, I, I just don't understand that. Well, get in line. You say, wait a minute, you're a pastor. I don't care if I'm a pastor. I don't understand that. I can understand how you can be fully God. I can understand how you can be fully human. I can even understand how maybe you could be half God and half human. But how can you be fully God and how can you be fully human? Mentally, intellectually, I don't understand it. It is a mystery. But there's actually two mysteries in one. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, with Jesus, when you met Jesus, he was one person, right? He was fully God, fully man. He was one person. Yet, you have three persons who are God, but God is one being. You see it at Christmas. The son was born. Well, who sent the son? The father. Well, who conceived the Son? The Spirit. So let me get this straight. God is one being. Yes, he is. But he's three persons. Yes, he is. God the Father sent God the Son who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't understand that. Get in line. I don't either. It is a absolute mystery. But in Jesus, this is so, what's so beautiful about Christmas, we have God, who is one, who entered into life with us, but he existed in eternity before us. I, 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 right now, I, I'm uh, talking, one of my best buddies is a guy that uh, used to play uh, football at University of Georgia. And he's got three or four buddies of his. He's moved to Nashville. He's got three or four buddies of his. They all played at University of Georgia. He texted me the other day. He said, hey, Doc, he said, I'm trying to witness to my, some of my, my buddies up here. And he said, they're having some real problems with, with Jesus. And I said, well, what, what, like, like, for example, what? And he said, well, one of the problems they can't get around is they just can't get around this whole fact about not just Jesus, but how can God exist for all eternity? Because nothing exists for all eternity. And I said, listen, I'll be honest with you. Here's our problem. We live in a three-dimensional world. And we're, we're limited by two things. We're limited in time and we're limited in space, okay? Like right now, I can be here, what time is it? It's 10.05. I can be here at 10.05. I can't be in the back of the room at 10.05. I can be here right now. I can't be here in the back of the room at the same time. I'm limited by time. I'm limited by space. What we can't get our mind around is God created time. God created space. You say, where is God right now? Where do you want him to be? He's everywhere. Well, when will he be there? He never left. I don't understand that. Don't get that. But my point is this. You're looking at someone at Christmas who, yes, he entered into life with us. He became one of us just like us. Yet, he didn't have a beginning in Bethlehem. He's always existed before eternity, well, from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. He always has been and always will be. But this is the best part of all. He entered into life with us, 
He existed in eternity before us. But this is the best part. Jesus expresses God to us. He expresses God to us. Now, John ties a theological bow on this theological present with these words. Now listen to this. No one has ever seen God. True statement. You hadn't seen God. I hadn't seen God. No one's ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now, John starts out by reminding his readers, you know what? No one's ever seen God. And 2,000 years ago, before Jesus came especially, no one would have ever disagreed with that statement because back in the ancient world, back in, I mean, way before even Jesus came into this world, if you go back and read ancient literature, you'll find that people were both fascinated and frustrated with whatever God or gods that they worship. They were fascinated because they did believe in gods. They did believe in supreme beings. They did believe that something or somebody was up there. But the reason why they were frustrated at the same time was they knew deep down, we can never know this God. We can never have a personal relationship with God, this God. We will never ever see this God. As a matter of fact, the philosopher Plato said this. He said, never man and God can ever meet. <clears throat> never man and God can ever meet. What Plato was saying was, worship all the gods you want to worship. Give praise to all the gods you want to give praise to. Give honor and acknowledge all the gods you want to, but you'll never know them. You'll never know if they know you. You'll never know if they've got a plan for your life. We've made up a name for them, but deep down, we don't even know what their name really is. We're just kind of guessing and hoping that maybe the name fits and maybe the name sticks because you really can never know or see God. As a matter of fact, every Jew knew what God had said to Moses. He got, you remember what God said to Moses? He said, no man can see my face and live. You cannot see my face and live. But then comes that little word that John puts in right here. Yeah, I call it the Christmas word. But, but, and then he refers to Jesus as the one and only son, now watch these words, who himself is God. As a matter of fact, the literal translation is he is the one unique God. When John wrote those words, every Jew's mouth would have fallen open. Gas could have been heard all over the room. He himself is God. Now, to John, if John were standing here today and you were to say to John, John, what is Christmas to you? Here's what John would say. This man that I spent three years with, he's God. That's Christmas to me. He was God. He's God the Son, but he's always been God. There was never a time when he was not God, but there was a time he was not human. And it was not until the first Christmas that the God of eternity, who knows neither time nor space, entered into both. Now, I know this gets a little bit deep, but you've got to understand this. Jesus was not a humanized God, and he was not a deified man. He was the God man. 
He was all that God was. He was all that man was. You can't take God out of the man. You can't take the man out of God. He was not God with a touch of humanity. He was not man with a touch of divinity. He was fully God and he was fully man. And the reason why John says that's so exciting and that's so so thrilling and it's so groundbreaking is he says, this Jesus has made God known, not just seen, not just heard, not just felt, not just experienced. He said, because of Jesus, I can know God personally. You can know God personally. You can have a personal relationship with God. That English word, by the way, the, the, the Greek word uh, for make him known gives us the English word exegesis. And, and the word exegesis simply means to explain. So if somebody says, hey, Can you explain God to me? Here's my answer. No, I cannot explain God to you, but Jesus can because he's God. So if you won't even begin to understand God, you go to Jesus because everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything that God has, Jesus has. Everything that God does, Jesus does. So somebody says, man, can I come to God? Yes, you can come to Jesus. Um. Can I know God? Absolutely know Jesus. Because in Jesus, you don't just see God. You don't just hear God. You don't just feel God. With Jesus, you know God. But you don't just know him as creator. You don't just know him as master. You don't just know him as ruler. You don't just know him as king. You know him as a full human being. You know him as a man just like I know you and just like you know me. Just like we have a face-to-face, flesh-to-flesh relationship. That's the way you can know God. There's an amazing story. I've never told you this story before. I just found it not long ago. I'd never heard it before. It's it's just one of, it's it's really an unbelievable story in a way. But on February the 15th, 1921 in New York City, in the operating room of the Kane Summit Hospital, there was a doctor who performed an appendectomy, which doesn't sound like a big deal at all. As a matter of fact, the doctor who did the surgery, his name was Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. He examined this patient that he, that, he, that he operated on, and he said, this is a clear case of appendicitis. This guy was an expert because in nearly 37 years of, of practicing medicine, he had performed over 4,000 appendectomies. So he examined the patient. He said, there's no doubt in my mind, this man has appendicitis. So you think it's just another surgery he's performing that day. And it would have been, except there were two things that made that surgery completely unique from every other surgery that he had ever done or any other doctor had ever done. First of all, Dr. Kane, for the first time, was going to use local anesthesia. In other words, He'd been a crusader for a long time against the hazards of general anesthesia. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's always a danger when you go under general anesthesia. There's a risk, maybe not a danger, but there's the risk that something could go awry, something could go wrong. And so he had been telling his colleagues for years, you know, particularly for an appendectomy, you don't need to put people to sleep. You can use a local anesthesia. It's a lot safer. Well, a lot of his colleagues agreed with him but they wanted to see the theory applied. And so they needed to find a volunteer. And that led to the second thing that made this surgery unique. 
Dr. Kane kept looking for volunteers who, you know, someone that was willing to undergo surgery while under local anesthesia, you know, do it. in other words, do the surgery while you're awake. Just let me do the surgery. You know, I'll make sure there's no pain. I'll deaden it. Let me do it with local anesthesia. Well, guess what? They weren't standing in line to do that, right? I mean, nobody was saying, yeah, I would love to do that. It would be a thrill to watch you cut my side open. He couldn't find anybody to do that. Nobody wanted to be awake when they were operated on and other people were afraid that the anesthesia would wear off too quickly. And it was very frustrating until finally one day, Dr. Kane finally found a candidate. So Tuesday morning, February the 15th, this historic operation takes place. The patient was prepped. He was wheeled into the operating room. The local anesthetic was applied. And as he had done thousands of times before, Dr. Kane dissected that superficial tissue, cut the side open, removed the appendix, sewed the patient back up. He was taken to post-op. He was placed in a room. He recovered quickly. And unbelievably, he was out of the hospital in two days. Dr. Kane was so elated, so pumped, because he had proven his theory to be correct. And thanks to that brave volunteer, Dr. Kane was able to make medical history. You say, okay, so what made the surgery so unique? Well, what made it really unique was the patient was Dr. Kane. He literally operated on himself. He diagnosed himself. He anesthetized himself. He operated on himself. He took, out the, he took out the appendix himself. He sewed himself back up. He recovered on his own. Unbelievable, incredible story. But it cannot compare to the Christmas story of the God who became flesh. Now, let me tell you how that applies, though. Let me tell you why that story, when I read that story, I said, man, that's Christmas. But don't you draw up real close, don't you listen to this. Let me tell you why God came. God came to take his own medicine. God came to take his own medicine. I, I don't want you to raise your hand because I'm not trying to, to pry into your life right now, but so don't, don't raise your hand. But I just want to ask you a question. How many of you right now, you know suffering? I mean, you're, you're suffering in some way, somehow. You know suffering. If that's you, so did Jesus. How many of you know temptation? So did Jesus. You know disappointment? Oh yeah, man, do I know disappointment? So did Jesus. You know heartache? So did Jesus. You know what it's like to be betrayed? To be sold out by someone you thought were your, was your friend? <laughs> so did Jesus. The diagnosis is not good. And you may be facing a premature death. <laughs> so did Jesus. He experienced all of it as a man. But he overcame all of it as God. It's incredible how God did that. It's incredible that God would say to you and me, let me tell you how much I love you. I love you so much. I'm not only going to live without you if I can help it. I'm going to come die for you so I don't have to live without you. I'm going to go one better. I'm not going to die for you. I'm going to live with you as one of you. 
I'm going to know what it's like. You're not going to go through anything I haven't experienced. Heartache, hurt, disappointment, betrayal, people lying to you, people taking from you, people mistreating you, going through the roughest times of life. I'm going to know exactly what it's like because I want to enter into life with you. Even though I existed before you, I want to enter into life with you. You know why? Because I want to explain God to you. I want to reveal God to you. I want you to know you can know God. You can know him personally. You can know him better than you know your wife, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. You can even know this God better than you know yourself because I'm going to be one of you just like you. And it's amazing to see how God still shows up like that every day. You know, one of the things about is great being a pastor, life is full of illustrations. You don't have to look hard to find illustrations, and the best ones are real life. Let me just tell you this one real life illustration, I'll be done. So, you know, we went to the mall yesterday, as I told you, and it was nuts. I mean, it was just nuts. It was just absolute nuts. And we went to the food court to get about to eat. And I mean, everywhere you went, there were 25 and 30 people in line. I mean, just, it's just unbelievable, you know. And so finally, uh, we decided, we, I got my place. He said, let me see if I can find a place to sit. Well, in that whole big, you know, food court there, there were two seats at a, at a, at a, at a bar. And so she said, hey, I'm going to run go go get those two seats. And I saw a little old lady walking. I said, hurry, you got to beat that lady. So anyway, she, no, just a joke, just a joke. So Teresa goes over there and, and gets these two seats. We sit down, and we're sitting right, right. There's one seat on the end. There was a man sitting there on the end. So we sit down, and, and I said, uh, okay, Teresa, I said, let's, let's pray for our food. So I, you know, I knelt, and I, and I said, the blessing. And when I, when I said amen, the man next to me said amen. I thought that's kind of cool, so I turned around, and, and I said, well, I said, I hope I didn't mind, you didn't mind me praying in front of you. He said, oh, man, I'm so glad that you did. And so we got to talking. His name was uh, 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 Doug. And uh, long story short, uh, Doug, I said, what, Doug, what are, you, what are you doing here? You doing Christmas shopping? He said, no, actually, he says, I'm, I'm here to see a movie. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And then he kind of got quiet. And he said, yeah, I'm just trying to get my mind off some things. I said, what are you trying to get your mind off of? And he teared up and he said, well, um, my twin brother died a week ago today. And he said, I live with my twin brother. He said, I've been, I've been, we've lived together for about a year. He said, I said, what, what was wrong with him? He said, lung cancer. I said, well, I said, well, my dad died of lung cancer. And so he began to just to share how for nine months, basically, his, his, his brother was basically an invalid. And he, he cared for his, for his twin brother. And they're just, they were just like twins. I mean, just real close. And he said, you know, he'd been caring for him. And he said, you know, he said, I, I, he said, I just miss him so much. I said, yeah, I can't even imagine. And then he said, he didn't know I was a pastor. And he said, you know, he said, uh, you know something my brother said to me? And I said, no, what? He said, my brother's in the hospital. This was last Saturday, my, uh, uh, Saturday morning. He said, my brother's in the hospital. And my brother looked at me and he said, Doug, his brother's name was David. He said, Doug, I just want to go home and die. Would you just take me home? And he said, you know, he says, I, I picked him up. I got him in the wheelchair. Didn't even, didn't even ask the nurse. I just picked him up, checked out, took him to the car. I took him home. I put him in bed. He said, 45 minutes, he was gone. He said, we were driving home. And he said, you know what he said to me? And more than just, I mean, he really teared up. And he said, he said, Doug, I'm sorry that I've been such a burden to you all this time. And he said, I looked at him and I said, David, you're not a burden. 
You're my brother. So I said, man, I, I just want to tell you, I appreciate your story. And he said, he said, you know, he said, all these places you could have sat, but you sat here. I said, you're right. He said, I can't believe you showed up. I said, I didn't show up. God showed up. I just happened to be here. He said, what do you do? <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. He said, it's unbelievable. He said, I was sitting here thinking, I wish somebody would come sit next to me that I could just talk to face to face. And I thought to myself, that's Christmas. God came to planet Earth. I get chill bumps talking about it right now. God came to planet Earth so that in your deepest, darkest, most horrible times, God could look at you and say, that's why I came. So we can talk just face to face. What a Christmas gift that is to the world. Let's pray together.